I love God's sense of humor. When uh, I was asked to speak on this day, I don't believe Pastor Julio, or even I for that moment, realized that it was Mother's Day weekend. And some of you may know, and some of you that don't, I was a single mom. I raised six children by myself. And for many, many years, uh, my children, my oldest six children, made more of a fuss over me at Mother's Day. I got breakfast in bed and cards all the time. When Father's Day came, it was just another day, and, hey, Perry, we got to go do something. You know, so this is very special for me. I love, I love the opportunity to share the Lord with, with people, and for it to be Mother's Day weekend uh, is very awesome for me. So to all of you mothers, I can appreciate everything that you go through, and uh, it's awesome. And I do apologize to uh, Becky because Nick and Jennifer, my youngest two children, now carry on the same tradition, and we have to uh, share Mother's Day. So, <laughs> Anyways, for the next few minutes, we're going to weave in and out of the scriptures and uh, talk a little bit about some of the uh, experiences that I've had in my life, uh, some good and uh, some not so good, but as the theme of what we're sharing today, uh, we're going to realize that in all things, every experience that happens in life, if we give God the opportunity, something very majestic and something very beautiful will come out of it. And uh, as Brother Lewis so eloquently spoke last week about the prodigal son and the labors in the vineyard, I am a prodigal son. And I also am one of the laborers in the vineyard that uh, came. I wasn't the last one in the afternoon, but uh, I definitely didn't start work before noon. And so for, for me, I am very, very grateful that God has taken the experiences of my life personally and turned a lot of uh, unfortunate things that I did to myself into something very beautiful and that is for me to even be able to stand here today before you, proclaim that the Lord is still alive and well on the throne. He still creates miracles, because you're looking at one. We're going to uh, start out with uh, a couple of my first recollections when I first started thinking of uh, experiences and how something bad happened and then something positive came out of it. I'm the youngest of six kids. And my older brothers uh, and I used to play baseball out in the street quite a bit. And uh, I, got, I got pretty good, humbly speaking. Uh, when I was uh, 10 years old, I played Little League Baseball for the first year of my life. And because of my ability to catch a ball and to throw the ball really well and hit, at 10 years old, I was put on a majors team, which was primarily for 12-year-old kids. And only the best 11-year-olds. Well, at the tryouts, right before I was to come to the plate, this kid got hit by a pitch, and he went down crying and squealing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and that kind of scared me. Well, I went up, and fortunately, I was able to hit the ball and was put on a major team. I played the entire year, every single inning, and did not get one base hit. I did not get one base hit. As a, field, as a fielder, I was very good. 
as a hitter, I was the worst. And I was discouraged, and I quit. I had realized a few years later that I was afraid of the ball. I was afraid I was going to get hurt if I got hit by a pitch. And where I found this out was when I was a teenager, a friend of mine convinced me to play what we called Colt League Baseball. I was about 14 years old, and sure enough, in one of the first games, I got nailed by a pitch. I'm like, wow, that wasn't so bad. The next time up, I hit a double, and I was sitting ever since. But where this really goes is, in my heart, I never wanted a, a child to experience what I experienced. And I, I began coaching Little League Baseball, and I understood that there was a fear element. And I am so very, very proud to say today that in that experience, I have literally coached hundreds of kids from the age of nine years all the way until what they call senior baseball to 15 years. And every single player I have ever coached has got hits. And it's not that I was a great hitting instructor. It is that I was able to instill from a very bad experience of mine to teach kids to overcome fear, to overcome self-doubt. And it was through that experience that I as a human grew to realize this experience was more for the kids than it was for me. Then my next experience I uh, reflected on was my first encounter with the police. Notice I said the first time. We'll get back to the other times in a few minutes. My first experience with the police, I was about seven years old. My mom and dad were divorced uh, when I was very young. We were of a Catholic family, and my, my family was excommunicated from the church. My mother was. And so my mom, being the good Catholic mother, would send three of my brothers, or two of my brothers and my sister and I off to, to church, and she would say, you know, go to Mass, and then come home. And so us being, you know, funny thinking that we were, we'd run in, take turns grabbing a bulletin and run out, go horse around the neighborhood for about an hour, go home, give our mom the bulletin. She'd say, how was Mass? Well, you know, the same as always, no problem. And on this particular morning, we said, hey, let's act suspicious. Now, you got to remember, this is back in the 60s, and things are, you know, some of you might have a hard time relating to this, but back in the 60s, they had gas stations with metal signs, among other things, you know, Coke bottle machines where you actually opened the door and didn't have to put money in first. But there was a metal sign that was like it would flip, and it was on a frame. And so we saw, two of my brothers and sister and I, we saw a police car coming from the distance. And we were out, remember, acting suspicious. So we ran real quick, and we got behind that metal sign. Our hands were on top, and our feet were on the bottom frame. You get the picture? They could see our hands and our feet. So the cop came up and said, hey, what are you guys doing? We're acting suspicious. And that was my first experience with the law. That one was probably one of the best ones, where the guy just scolded us and said, get on with what you're, doing, you're supposed to be doing. We're going to read in James now. Uh, we'll start out in the first chapter of James, if you want to follow with me. 
James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we dive into your word today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and bring to us to the exact place where we, you would have us to be at the, the end of this time shared. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is where you get to jump in. How many of you can honestly say that you're joyful when you have various trials that come in your life? You understand what I mean? Oh, awesome. I'm challenged again. Give me two more. Come on. Who can honestly say, God, give me a triple portion? Come on, I can take more. I remember a guy speaking the other day, and he says, you know, God love you, good luck to you, but I don't pray for patience. And like, thought about that, and he says, yeah, if you pray for patience, that means you're going to have to go through trials and tribulations to gain patience. And so I got that. But the point is, James is saying here, count it all joy when various trials and tribulations and trouble come to you. Okay, well, how does that relate to experiences? Well, quite frankly, that is how you get experience in life. Remember, we're living a Christian life. So for us to uh, hold to our hearts here what it means to be a Christian, it means that we have to take on the nature of Christ and we have to go through some suffering. We have to go through some persecution, we have to go through some temptations so that we can fully understand what it was that Jesus had gone through. And so in reality, when you look at it like that, if you want to mature as a Christian, then you do have to say, bring it on. It's very difficult, but it's very true. If you want to grow in the Lord, you have to accept the steps of growth. The scripture uh, continues in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Pay close attention here. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, 
with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In this scripture, it reminds me of another encounter I had with the police department. This was when I was in, I'd say my early 20s. And uh, briefly, let me say that when I was about 19 years old, Billy Graham had come to San Diego. And for the first time in my life, I was exposed to the gospel. And uh, I love Billy Graham. I think he's probably the greatest evangelist that ever walked the face of the earth. And I was drawn to uh, wanting to become a Christian. And the, the support group back then, uh, don't want to really mention the name, but I was fed to a church, a local church. And the preacher there was one of the, the gentlemen that came from uh, sort of a familiar background as myself. So that's what kind of drew me there. But he was of the nature of turn and burn, hell and fire, damnation. And, you know, if you didn't get right with God, you were going to burn in hell. And so every night after church, I'd have to go home and smoke pot so I could go to sleep because I was too afraid to go to sleep that I was going to die. And so that relationship did not work with me and in God. And so now fast forward a couple years later, I'm working in a family business, ceramic business. I work the second shift. I uh, am full of dust and ceramic dust and dirt. I'm driving down Highway 8 coming into the North Park area, and I'm having a conversation with God. And this is where the scriptures are when the temptation turned into lust. And I remember clearly, I'm driving down Highway 8. I'm going to buy the weed. I'm going to buy it. I don't care what you say. I don't care, God. I'm going to buy the weed. And I was arguing with God. And I knew darn good and well that God was trying to say to me, you don't need it. You don't need it. And I argued. I went and bought the weed. That night, I drove by the liquor store. Oh, I don't feel like having a beer. That's all right. Went home. About 11.30 at night. Put my baggy weed on my dresser. Yeah, you know what? I do feel like having a beer. So if you know the north, the... Uh, Neighborhood of East San Diego, 40th and University, 11.30 at night. Not the smartest place to be walking. Not the safest. So I'm walking down an alley. A cop car comes up behind me. He says, where are you going? So I'm going to the store to get a beer. The cop looks at me and he goes, really? Where you been? I said, I've been at work. Look, I'm all dirty. He said, really? You look like a guy that I just had a call that just committed a burglary. I <laughs> said, come on, look at me. He goes, no, for real. He goes, let me make a deal with you. He says, you get in a car with me. I'm gonna take you over to some of my buddies. They'll take a look at you. And if they don't think that it's you, we'll let you, I'll take you to the store and get your beer and take you back home. And I said, do I have a choice? He goes, no. Get in the car. So I got in the back of the car. Didn't have a choice. He drives me over to 40th and University. There's about tw 12 cop cars. A bunch of cops come and look in the door. They look at me. They walk away. They start talking for a few minutes. 
The cop comes back, he opens the door, and I go, see, I told you. I told you it wasn't me. He goes, get out of the car. No problem. I thought you were going to drive me to the store. He goes, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you may say can and will be held against you. He handcuffed me, and I was under arrest for burglary. And all the way downtown, I kept telling him, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And he said, oh, that's what everybody says. That's what you guys all say. It was you. He said to me, take a good look at the stars right now. You're not going to see outside for a long time, kid. And after about the third day, I started believing him. And finally, I was not identified in a rap, in a lineup, and I was let go. I'd, I wasn't the burglar, but I did deserve to go to jail. I disobeyed God. I did deserve to go. And the beautiful thing that came out of that, years later, I finally understood what it meant about God's love, his grace, his mercy. I understood what it meant for the forgiveness of sins, what it meant to become a new creature in Christ. I understood what it meant to be forgiven. And I had a desire in my heart to serve him. And for 14 years, I went to prison and to jails. I went to every county jail. All, there were seven of them in this county. I went to R.J. Donovan State Prison when it first opened as a chaplain. And God used me in prison ministry and in jail ministries in a, in a way that I could never have experienced if I did not know what it was like to be locked up. If I didn't know what it was like to argue with God and lose, I understood. And I have to tell you, outside of being a father, some of the most overwhelming, awesome experiences I've ever had in my life were in prison. Seeing people who are at the last hope of life to share with them a glimpse of hope, to share with them an opportunity to have a better life, even if they were locked up in prison. God allowed me the honor and the privilege to do that, but it would not have come without that experience. And where is this relative to you? You're sitting here, I don't smoke weed. I don't have a problem with weed. Well, good, I hope you don't. You are people just like me, and you have problems. We all have problems. We all have challenges. They might not all be the same. We all have temptations. And part of the message today is, no matter what thought comes into your mind, that's not the sin. It's what you do with the thought. If you allow the thought to fester and to lust, and then from lust to sin, then you find yourself in the back of the proverbial cop car. Then you find yourself on the outside of heaven's gate. And so, with me for a few moments, 
think about your own lives as we share a couple more things. What is it that's going on in your life right now? Hopefully it's not that, but relatively speaking, it's equal. Is there something that is possibly festering within yourself that you're struggling with or that you're fighting with? And the encouragement is don't give in because it's too hard a temptation. Don't give in because you don't see the reward at the end. The the thrust of what I'm trying to share with you is don't allow that lust to turn into sin, but yet allow God to turn the lemons of your life into lemonade. Let's go to uh, the first book of Peter, chapter 4. While we're going there, I'm going to share something else real quick that I'm not real proud of, but today seems like a day of confessions. While I was uh, in the midst of raising my kids and pretending to serve God in and out, I was in a, a business, a fire protection business, where I had the opportunity to come into a commodity, Halon gas. Won't bore you with great details, but the United States Navy did a lot of work for them. They felt that they wanted to repay me, so they gave me many cylinders of this precious commodity gas. And because they gave it to me and not my company, (laughs) I felt like I could sell it off the market, which I did. And I pocketed quite a bit of money, thinking this was a way to help take care of my family. Well, in the process of all this, I seemed to get farther and farther into debt, and it finally got to a point where I had to do a newspaper route for about four years. I got up every morning at about 3 o'clock in the morning, went down to the, to the place where I got the newspapers, folded papers, delivered a route, and got home by 6 o'clock and got my kids up, got them breakfast ready for school, and got them off. And that was my life for four years. And I remember one morning, I was out, in the, out in the, on the route, and I'm like, God! Why do I have to do this? Because you stole the gas. What? You stole the gas. What? The Halon gas. That wasn't given to you personally, Tim. It was given to your company. Oh, really? You see, I allowed a temptation to turn into sin. I saw an opportunity to get money. And part of me wanted to believe this was God's way of blessing me. God doesn't work like that, people. He doesn't cheapen blessings. He does not take shortcuts. He doesn't do backdoor deals. And that's where I made another one of my famous mistakes in life. An amazing thing happened after I'm like, okay, I got it. I should have never done that. I prayed right there in the middle of the street, got down on my knees, and I said, God, please forgive me for that. I realize I'm wrong. Now, I wasn't a Christian, and so I'm just saying I've weaved in and out here. Shortly thereafter, I got a new job. Went to a company called Schmidt Fire Protection, where I am today. And the owner of our company, I had to explain to him that I had to do this newspaper route and that I coach baseball. And even though, yes, I'm asking you for a job that pays me good money, I might be late and I might have to leave early. 
sure, when do you want to start, Tim? And would you like a cup of coffee? He hired me. And after a few months, he's like, Tim, how much do you make doing that paper route anyways? I said, I bring home about $1,300 a month. He goes, and how long do you do that? He says, it takes me a few hours every morning. He says, quit the newspaper route, come in two hours early every day, and I'll give you extra money until you pay off whatever you're trying to pay off. $64,000 of debt. That's right, $64,000 of debt in four years. That's God's way. That was God's way. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 19. Beloved, that's us, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. Here comes this like praise God in the bad times again. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Really? If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let not none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. That's kind of funny, huh? When they, they put that busybody and meddler with murderers and thieves. Sometimes we don't like to equate those things kind of together, but, you know, that's that where words sometimes can hurt worse than weapons. Okay, I'll keep going. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judges, judgment must begin at the house of God, And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Also, 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now we're sharing today a little bit uh, some of the scriptures in James. I relate to my life outside of Christ, you know, before and when I was a pretender. And now we're talking here in Peter. And as a Christian, uh, these scriptures relate to all of us. They can relate to us in content here. It's referring mostly that if someone, you know, makes fun of you or teases you or gives you a hard time about being a Christian, you know, praise the Lord because you're being identified with him. But I also take out of this scripture that as a Christian, we are not exempt from bad things happening or our trials coming to us in this light of our life as well. See, there's a difference when we allow temptation to turn into lust into sin and then we've created a monster for ourselves and now here Peter is sharing that 
as a Christian, you'll take on the nature of Christ and there will be some suffering that goes on. And it is for us to fully embrace and understand the nature of Christ and how much he really did love you. If you don't understand how he suffered for you, then you will never appreciate him. And so, I'm going to share with you something that I must admit, uh, I'm embarrassed, uh, humiliated, uh, but I believe that this is something that might be relative in a parallel way to share with you. My daughter Kiana, I have five sons, five natural sons and a daughter, and of course Nick and Jennifer, so my daughter Kiana, at the age of about 12 years old, along with her brothers, started experimenting with drugs. About the age of 14 or 15, she became a homosexual. And when she was about 18 or 19 years old, really started to uh, live this lifestyle uh, in my face. And as a parent, I felt, what have I done wrong? I thought I was the best mother I could ever be. I know I was a good father. Where did I go wrong? What, I mean, I had to have done something wrong. And I was given the opportunity to consider my two options. I could turn my back on her and pretend that she wasn't alive and she wasn't my daughter. Or I could do what Jesus Christ does for us. And that is love her and hate her sin. I could fully embrace her and yet not endorse her lifestyle. And I chose to love her. My daughter and I are about as close as any father and daughter could ever be. I love that kid more than anything in this world. And it broke my heart. It was devastating. It was devastating. She was gay. She was a drug addict and gay. A couple years ago, she had the audacity to ask me to perform the service at her gay wedding. I had done the service for my oldest son, as I will for probably all my kids. And she was heartbroken when I said, I can't do that, Kiana. I love you with all my heart. I love you. But I don't believe that that lifestyle is condus conducive to the word of God, nor how I believe. And I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I cannot do that. And she was very upset with me. We didn't speak for about a month and a half. She got married. To make an extremely long story short, this past Easter, I baptized my daughter. I baptized her in the name of Jesus Christ at her new church. The other day, she went to Earth Day down in Balboa Park. And the homosexuals and the smoking of the marijuana were repulsive to her. Do you understand me? What I'm telling you is, God many years ago said to me, don't turn your back on your daughter. You love her. You hate what she's doing. You hate the sin. But you love her. And I chose to love her. I never let her go. Like the Lord never lets us go. And it's been many years. Do you understand? When I met Becky, I had to say, Becky, guess what? 
you have a lesbian daughter. How do you like that? That wasn't a good conversation. I, you know, thank God for Nick and Jennifer and Becky to be understanding people. But today my daughter is a new creature in Christ. All old things are gone away out of her life. She is no longer a homosexual drug addict. She is serving the Lord Jesus Christ in her church. And for her to say, it was repulsive for me to see that sinful nature tells me there was a true conversion. It is just like alcohol and drugs are repulsive to me because there is a true conversion. Yes, I loved those things before. But when you understand that God can deliver you from those false hopes and dreams and maskings of fears and pains and give to you the realness and the true way of getting through life, through those experiences, it was at that moment that I understood I could never give up on my daughter. And if you love somebody today, I'm not saying you have a homosexual in your family, but I guarantee you everybody's got an Uncle John. Everybody's got a brother who's out there. Every one of us has somebody that is a black sheep in our family. Every one of us has somebody that is causing us grief and pain. Don't give up on them. Don't give up. That's a message today. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 chapter, I'm sorry, Romans 8th chapter, we're going to start at verse 35. Paul here is writing, describing how we are to change from the carnal man to the spiritual man how we are to become into the likeness of Christ. And I want to close with some encouraging words right now. Every one of us have challenges in life. Some maybe not as radical, maybe some not as challenging. Nevertheless, if there is anything that is preventing you from fully receiving the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus, you need to pay attention. You need to grasp a hold. Verse 35 starts, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing 
nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God except you. You're the only thing, the only person that can do that by not accepting fully and embracing you are the one that prevents that separation. I believe in my heart I have gone too long and I was going to continue and I won't. It's Mother's Day. Pre. The main scripture of our today was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I wanted to expound on that but I feel as if I need to stop. And so I would just, we're going to listen to a song here that uh, I believe the Lord has put onto my heart for us to share. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if you're familiar, if you're not, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. If you fully digest these scriptures, and I'll make you a deal, I won't expound on them for 15 minutes if you promise to go home and think about them. Is it a deal? I don't hear you. That's not good enough. Do you promise in the house of the Lord you're going to go do that? Okay. Are we ready? While we listen to this song, think about your life. Today is the day of the Lord. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. If any man opens the door, he will come unto you. Think about this, my friends. Are you worth it? Are you worth putting it off for tomorrow? Or do you consider this for today? If you have the need for the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, today is the day, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow.